0: You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. I'm going to read to you from Exodus 5, verse 1 to 21. And it's a longer reading than I normally like to do, but I think it's worthwhile because what I want to say to you is probably best read in its context. And maybe this is a part of Scripture that doesn't crop up in your daily reading much. So that's another reason why we should maybe read it together. Um, and I'm gonna read from uh, verse 5 of Exodus 5, verse 1 to 21. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's where they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers that appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quarter of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. This is why you keep saying Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quarter of bricks. These were like overseers, note this phrase, realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and a sword in their hand, to kill us. Well, I think the first thing I want to say to you tonight is that this passage makes me realize afresh that freedom is complicated. You all need to know that. You need to know that God knows that freedom is complicated. And the world need to know that the church understands that freedom is complicated. I think because the gospel is a gospel of emancipation and freedom, a new life, a new beginnings, all of that is fundamental to the gospel, but the church around the world for generations has been delivering that with no sense of awareness of how complicated freedom is for the people on the receiving end of our cries of freedom over them. So something very complicated is going on here that I wanna spend a bit of time with you thinking about because here we have possibly several million uh, Hebrew slaves and they had been in containment and confinement and slavery for 430 years, which is roughly about 20 generations. I have a theory that anything that's established to a third generation, by the way, takes on a permanence it didn't have in the first two. This is why I think God stopped introducing himself anymore after Jacob by mentioning anyone's names. He would say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because once the faith of Abraham had survived to Jacob's generation, under Jacob, the faith that was the individual faith of Abraham and Isaac took on nationhood. And under Jacob, this faith spread out and became a nation and became tribes and became global as we know eventually because it took on a permanence it didn't have in the first two. And I'm a first generation believer. And it was really tough, as it has been for some of you, to be the first one in my family to be a believer because it's just the weirdest thing, especially in a country like ours where people don't go to church. My mother was so upset by me going to church, she went to the doctors about me. She told me years later, I felt sorry for her because she was so confused and concerned and could only assume I must be ill to have been reading a Bible or going to church or listening to Christian music or having Christian friends. That's how odd it was in our heathen, non-churched country. But my kids didn't have that. My kids grew up in our home and our kids didn't have to fight to have Christian friends or to go to church or read the Bibles or listen to Christian music because I had, and Glenda and I had pioneered and suffered to make that the new norm in the Scanlan ancestral line. There was no believers before me as far as I know. But the second generation have a challenge different to the first generation, the challenge for the kids that are raised in the church because your parents bring you is that you meet the church before you meet Jesus. And that's, that's tricky because the church is far harder to love than Jesus is. Because the church is far more demanding than Jesus would ever be. The church is far less gracious, far less loving, far less kind than Jesus is. But kids that are raised in the church get confused between the church and Jesus. So they think they've given their lives to Christ, but actually they've formed a relationship with the church. So that's a challenge for the second generation, That is not easier. It's just different and its own kind of complexity. But if it can be established to a third generation, as with Jacob, and this is, by the way, true of things that are good or bad. Things that get established to a third generation in your city, in this country, good or bad things, tend to take on a momentum that they didn't have in the first two. So imagine how difficult it would be for these people to walk free after 20 generations. Anything that's established, and many things, by the way, are established much longer than that in your city, in your country, and ours. Problems, mindsets, belief systems, cultures, behaviors that are established multiple generationally in our communities, for better or for worse. And that's what's happening for these people. And rocks, Moses and Aaron rock up saying, let my people go. And all hell breaks loose to a whole nother level when they start saying this to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh decides to remind everyone who's in charge and to settle it all down by increasing their hardship on top of their hardship by saying from now on, we're we're not gonna subcontract out the straw part of brick manufacturing. You will have to find the straw yourself, but the number of bricks you are supposed to produce will not be reduced because of that new hardship. It is the same demand, but it's more difficult for you to meet the demand. This was Pharaoh's answer to stop them being distracted from Moses and Aaron's intervention in their situation so they go and complain to pharaoh and when pharaoh tells them it's going to be bricks without straw from now on that's why i said not the phrase it said they realized they were in trouble how can you not know you're in trouble already why would slaves have to realize that they're in trouble it's got to be something to do with this. If you need more trouble to let you know you are in trouble, it must mean you've made friends with the trouble you're in. So the level of trouble, the level of trouble they were in had become familiar to them. So they had stopped realizing that they were in slavery and that they were in bondage and that Pharaoh because when they when they leave Pharaoh and bump into Aaron And Moses, they say to them, we hate your guts. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. Whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. You already were obnoxious to Pharaoh. He hates your guts and so they're confused. They think Pharaoh's their friend and Moses is their enemy because freedom is complicated. And some of you are in trouble but don't know you are because better the trouble you know than the freedom you don't know there's a certain comfort in problems there's a certain comfort in addiction and in dysfunction and in what's not working it is often much more comfortable to stay there than to take your chances in freedom this is why the reoffending rate amongst people that are free, freed from jail the reoffending rate is so high Because freedom is scary. And many people, I talked to a prison officer recently about this when he heard me speaking about this. And he told me that just a few days ago, they released a woman from jail. She'd been in there for eight years for armed robbery. And she went out of prison that morning, went straight to a shopping mall, robbed a store, sat down on the pavement waiting for the cops. She was too terrified of being free. Because to have been told when to wake and when to sleep and when to eat and when to exercise, to have had that regime planned for you, now to have to have self-determination and to make these decisions yourself is, is terrifying for some people. So Moses and Aaron come into the midst of this situation, which in, in modern language could be called the Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome, in case you're not familiar with it, was a term that didn't exist until 1973. And in 1973, a bank robbery went wrong in Stockholm, Sweden. I was in Hillsong, Stockholm, Sweden recently, telling this story to Swedish people about the Stockholm Syndrome. But I realized 1973 is way, way uh, behind where these kids came in. So I knew none of them knew anything about this part of the history in their country, though it's quite recent history. And these guys went into to rob a bank, and it went wrong, and it turned into a hostage situation very quickly, which lasted several days. When it was all over peacefully, and the robbers went to trial, none of the bank staff that were taken hostage would give evidence against them. So the robbers' sentencing was reduced because no one would speak against them and it became known as the Stockholm Syndrome because the bank staff formed an emotional, mental alliance with their captors. They felt safer in the bank with their captors than they did outside with their liberators. Because the... The, 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 the bank robbers were looking after them, were sending out for medications and food and getting messages to their families and reassuring them that they wouldn't come to harm. Whereas outside the SWAT teams were ramping up to come in with bullets flying. And the politicians wanted it to be resolved because it had gone on for days. So the people inside the bank felt safer inside the bank than anywhere near a window or a door in case a stray bullet took them out. And so they felt more, more comfortable and more confident and safer with their captors than they did stepping outside the front door. And it became known as the Stockholm Syndrome. It's used now around the world, that term, around the world, to describe what happens when people that are abducted don't try to run away. They stay with their kidnappers. And you watch the TV and you think, why didn't you run away? Because they found a relationship, an emotional attachment to someone that perhaps treated them better than where they ran from. It's interesting because when the chief bank robber, Jan-Erik Olsen, was released from jail after about seven years, he married one of the bank staff that he took hostage. She waited for him. She fell in love with him. She visited him in prison. She waited till he was released, and they got married. And we find that incredible and unbelievable and laughable and shocking until I say to you, we've all done the same thing. At different times in all of our lives, we've all married our bank robbers. At different times in all of our lives, we have all refused to give evidence against what's not working in our lives. We have all made an alliance with things that really are not great and are not working well, but somehow we feel safer. Somehow we feel life is a little bit more predictable and I know it's not good, I know it's not brilliant, but at least it's my version of not good and not brilliant. So we have all in our lives at different times, and some of you here tonight have, have made a friend out of Pharaoh. And you think that Moses is the problem, and you think that someone else is the problem, and the problem is that you formed an attachment to something and someone that you shouldn't have done. And I understand that, and this isn't a finger-waving message tonight. I don't do those anyway. I've sat under too many of them. Because I think this is complicated. And that's why I want to not teach this in a way that we give these people a hard time. Because they're just human beings in a situation like all of us. And some of you tonight are stuck and trapped in some sense of confinement. And I want you to know that we understand that. That freedom is complicated. And so in comes Moses saying... Let my people go. But you've got to know the issue was never going to be would Pharaoh let them go. The issue was going to be would they let Pharaoh go. Yeah, that's right. Because you've got to know that Pharaoh was a pussycat. Yeah. Pharaoh was not the problem. Yeah. You don't get to be Pharaoh of Egypt and be an idiot. Right. Yeah. This guy was smart. He was a genius probably. He was skilled in military leadership And economic leadership and governmental leadership. This guy had come from a long line of pharaohs. And you would think, wouldn't you, that on, I would think, maximum plague three. As a smart leader, you'd think on plague three, whatever this thing is I'm up against, we should quit now. Because this is going to ruin our economy. This will destroy our country. So you've got to know... That Pharaoh wasn't holding out because he was some kind of, you know, piece of work that God couldn't deal with. Pharaoh kept wanting to say "go," but he went "no," because the Bible says God hardened his heart. God made him say no when everything in him wanted to say "get out of here." Some of you have no theology for that. You don't. You you have no. You have no theology for and no experience of God making you do stuff you didn't want to do. Some of you don't know anything about that. God can make people do things they didn't want to do. It's one of God's superpowers. <laughs> I have been through that several times in my life where God has made me be unreasonable, and forceful, and stubborn, and focused. I'm not open to negotiation about things that for whatever reason God needed someone to stick with and see through when it just defied reason, logic, finance and I found myself hijacked by an agenda that wasn't necessarily that important to me but it seemed to be important to God and I felt God making me do things like he... Made other people in scripture do things, and I've found lots of them in the Bible since I've realized God has done that to me a few times. So Pharaoh is under this divine compulsion to say no, and I want you to understand that the whole plagues thing and the whole you know confrontations with Pharaoh, all of it was theater, God didn't need it, it's all theater. This is all God creating theater to let the Israelites know that the God that you thought had abandoned you for 20 generations is back in town. And that this God that you have lost connection with or that your forefathers spoke to you about but you have no experience of is back. And so God shows up with these massive miraculous demonstrations to let them know you'll be okay with me if I can take care of Pharaoh and take down that regime, you cannot be okay with me, is what these demonstrations of power were trying to say to these people who were over-attached to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to what was not working. And what's clearly going on here is that to... But to get them to leave Egypt, God needed to create a bricks without straw, which is the title of this idea and message. Bricks without straw was God's way of making leaving Egypt the best idea they ever had. Bricks without straw was God's way of reminding them who your friends are and who your enemies are. God's way of making leaving Egypt a good idea when they were over-attached to their bank robber was... We're going to up the ante. I'm going to send you trouble on top of your trouble to make you realize you were already in trouble, but you'd settle down into it. This is good and bad news for all of us. Because, because in order to create movement in your life, you are going to need an enemy, not a friend. Because friends create comfort. Enemies create movement. So your friend's job is to comfort you, to love you, to be there for you. That does not create movement. It creates comfort and keeps you stationary. And so if God wants you to move and needs you to shift and you are reluctant to do so, God will send in a bricks without straw scenario into your life where your life gets more difficult and worse before it gets better. For God to get your attention For you to realize this place is no good for me. I shouldn't be here a second longer. Bricks without straw is what an enemy will do for you. And you have to reframe the gift of enemies in your life. People that don't care at all about being your friend. People that don't care about you including them or being nice to them because they come into your life with a divine assignment, as it were, to upset you and to irritate you. (laughs) Moses was bringing the liberation, but Pharaoh was bringing the agitation. And you need both to get free. Now, something else complicated is going on here, and that is that there's a difference between liberation and freedom. Liberation is an event. Freedom is what follows that as a way of life. So the allied troops tanks rolling in to liberate Iraq or some other country where there's been the toppling of a dictator and a regime involved and it goes viral around the world. The pulling down of Saddam Hussein's bronze statue The dancing on top of it by the liberated people. All of that is liberation. It's not freedom. It's liberation. And freedom is far more complicated than liberation. And God knew that liberation would only be the beginning of what he really wanted for them, which was to live a life of freedom. And we all know, don't we, that they died in freedom. Go figure. They did not die of slavery. They died of a slave mentality. So they're free. They're physically free. They're physically liberated. We are physically liberated. We are circumstantially, situationally liberated. We're saved and we have got liberated, but we don't live free. So what happens in our kinds of churches is we finish up liberating the same people every week. And it becomes a dysfunctional, codependent relationship. Where every week the same people come. And I passed it for 30 years and I thought, we have got to get another idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for 30 years I thought, we surely, surely you can't need liberation again. It was only a few days ago that we liberated you. It was only a few weeks ago that we came and rolled the tanks in and set you free, as it were. It was only a, only a few days ago that you, had, that you had your umpteenth liberation moment in this year. So I'm thinking, is this what we're building? Do we build liberation-dependent people who never live free? Shouldn't we see that as a fail? Shouldn't we see that as far less than God intended us to experience? And I began to think, yeah, I think I need to completely change how I present what I talk about. And I need to move away from everybody thinking we are building churches based on events called liberation that don't last. I have to equip you to know how to live free every day for years of your life which means you may never need liberating in the same way ever again. And these people are liberated but God wanted them to live and stay free for them to be them for themselves to become a walking liberation movement to other people that they could have it so good and so strong That they could go on to liberate other nations and pass this freedom on. But they they didn't do that. And often we don't do that. We get stuck in this cycle of endless getting set free but not staying free. So without an enemy, your present is permanent. Without an irritation, without an enemy, without some resistance... Without a Pharaoh, your present is permanent. Your life will look the same a year from now as it does now without an enemy coming to create movement in your life. So I want you to this week think differently about that boss at work, about that person in your life, that situation that is really just an irritation and you keep rebuking it and you keep praying it out of your life and the bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you so if you're resisting and it's not fleeing the chances are it's not the devil the chances are the chances are it's listen to me the chances are it's god willing to appear as the devil because he's very cool to do that if that's required. God is very happy to appear in multiple forms, multiple disguises. One of which is God will disguise himself in the form of something bad, something negative, something resistant, something that won't move. A, a boss that's not on your side, a friend, a family member that just irritates the heck out of you and, and, and you keep trying to avoid it and it doesn't change because the truth is for all the praying and the rebuking the shabba doing that we do I am a shabba-dabba-doer by the way I just think we exaggerate the whole point of it and think it's some sort of magic formula we trot out and when we open our eyes it's all magicked away so just pull back some of you on the shabba doing and get a new idea so you can rebuke all you want, but God is not scared of you. And when God's on your case, you cannot get delivered from God. You get delivered from the enemy, but you can't get delivered from God. So these people are not really trying to get delivered from Pharaoh. He's not the problem. God's trying to get them free from their attachment to something and someone and some mindset and some way of thinking that is not working. And I wonder if you would go into a new week with the possibility that this is happening in your life somewhere, that someone's creating problems on top of your problems to remind you you're in trouble that you made friends with and the new trouble is to remind you that the old trouble was not working and the new trouble is to create the idea I should move away from this situation. I should, I should get a new idea for my life. If you would reframe some stuff in your world this week and think, this is a bricks without straw scenario. If you would use that phrase and impress people with it this week at parties. Then they would say, what do you mean by bricks without straw? You can tell them, well you remember and tell them the story like it was your idea. Well, you know, in, in, in the Old Testament and, and the Hebrews and so on and so on. And, you know, it could be called the Stockholm Syndrome. Just trot that right out there. <laughs> to let people know that the possibility is that that could be your life and that could be my life. At any different stage of life, this is possible for us. But I have found that when I have got stuck in my life, usually it has been a problem and an enemy and something that I wish I wasn't having to be involved in that won't go away and it didn't get better and it got worse before better, usually God has used something like this to create shifts, movements, new seasons, new opportunities. Usually it's come in the form of something that looks like an enemy, bricks without straw looked like pharaoh's idea but it was god's idea to create movement away from what was not working so this week i wonder if you would dial it down in your prayer life if you would dial it down in your drama and think you know what maybe just maybe this is the best thing that ever happened to me we that have been your support structure for months will be very happy that you don't call us this week because you kind of figured out, oh, okay, I get it. God is trying to create movement in my life away from what I have developed an attachment to and I really should start giving evidence against it. and moving away from it. Yeah. I want you to live a life of continual, long-term freedom. I don't want us to build churches where we lead people to believe that the church is only good for, God's only good for deliverance and salvation and an encounter on top of your last encounter, on top of your next encounter. I'm all for all of that stuff, but I am committed to building a life of process rather than a life of events. I wrote a book. I wrote a book. Are you still with us in the north and the central and the east, and the west, and the online, and the, and the solar system. And, uh, I want you to have conversations internally, and with maybe people that you love and do life with, to say, you know what, maybe we should just change the rhetoric, and change the conversation, and change the, change the narrative. You know, drama just needs three elements. It needs a victim, moi. It needs a villain, you. And a conspiracy theory. That's all it needs. Hollywood are making blockbusters on those three things. And so some of us are our own self-perpetuating drama queens and we think it's the devil and we're getting friends to support us, but you just need to change the narrative, the, the story in your head. The story in your head is dodgy. You got a wrong story in your head and you're convinced it's the right story because you've been telling yourself it so long. And I pray that this week someone upsets you and you for a change, don't get mad and start calling your support network. And you realize, I think this is time for me to grow up. I think I need to step away from my own Pharaoh in my head. I think I need to turn my back and walk away. I want to thank you, God, for a bricks without straw scenario. I see now that that's what this is. And I see the gift of it is to move me away from what I have formed an attachment to for too long. Let's stand there. Come on. Time's gone. Father, I thank you for everyone here, all of those listening online, the other campuses. I pray as we step into a new week that, that this will become wisdom for us that travels with us into our lives beyond this room that we're in tonight, beyond this church experience that we're enjoying together. I pray that this will translate into a new idea a new thought, a new potential direction that we have needed to take for a long time but have got stuck in the mindsets and the relationships and the ways of doing life and the habits that we have got stuck into. I pray that this somehow will become a jarring, will become an interruption, will become an interception, will become a disruption in our narrative To force us to turn our back on our own internal bank robbers. I pray that this week will be a week not only of liberation, but of the first steps of a new life of freedom. That means I never have to need Moses again. I pray that this week we will find the courage, and that's what it will take. We'll find a courage that we've struggled to find for years, probably find a tenacity and a courage and a stubbornness and a relentlessness that enables us to take even a small step this week in a new direction that is uncharted territory for us, that is new and scary because it's not what we're used to, but what we're used to is not working. I pray that there will be no urge in us to reoffend so that we can step back into the comfort of what's just not working. Help us, Lord, this week to reframe the gift of those nasty people in our life, in our world, those nasty circumstances that we are wishing away And yet through it somehow is hidden the next version of us. Somehow in what we are praying away from us is concealed. Our destiny, our future is concealed inside the pharaohs in our lives. Help us to step back, help us to auto-correct our internal narrative a little bit this week in order that we might see another perspective, a facet that we have been blind to for a long time that has kept us locked up. And even though we keep coming for liberation constantly, we keep troubling you for liberation And then when it doesn't turn to freedom, we think that our answer is more liberation. I pray for deliverance from liberation in us. I pray for a breaking of our addiction to liberation in our hearts and lives in these coming days. And I pray for a commitment to walk in freedom one step at a time and to just keep going and never look back. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.